are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. My wife and I will be celebrating 25 years together, as is often the case with milestones, especially those wherein you've known the person longer than you didn't. You start to struggle with thinking of a time they weren't there. You have a shared history and there's comfort in there. Now, for better or for worse, we have something similar here in that we'll be celebrating 10 years together this year. And that's created a shared gaming experience. <coughs> Fuck I was doing good, damn it. <laughs> oh, you were doing great. God damn it. Listen, Raj, it's understandable to get choked up in such an emotional moment. Oh, no, that's not what it was, brother. Wait, but wait, we'll pretend it like it was. Fuck you, shut up, I'm not done. <laughs> I wrote this shit, so I'm saying it, and I'm not cutting this out either. Anyways, it's created this shared gaming history, which, which is really interesting. Marty, you're not a part of this, so you can just kind of fuck off for a while. Maybe in a couple of years, <laughs> he will include you. But I got to thinking about some of the games that have created some of our best conversations on this podcast. And one of those games is definitely Life is Strange, without a doubt. When Before the Storm was announced, our opinions differed. See, <coughs> fuck. <coughs> God, I hope I'm not catching my wife's cold. When Before the Storm was announced, our opinions differed due in part to how Life is Strange ended, as well as the fact that the sequel is actually a prequel, and in the wrong hands, that can spell disaster. However, here's the thing. In the right hands, a prequel can actually work in unanticipated ways. Sure, you know the characters, and you know what awaits them. In some cases, as is the case with Life is Strange, you also know a lot of backstory, some dating back further than the prequel even. And here's what happens. Instead of wondering what's going to happen to the characters, you begin to instead wonder how it's going to happen to them. Your curiosity curiosity shifts from the characters to the journey. And you still care about the characters, clearly. However, you know their default state in the original game. There's no guessing what their characters will be. And in the case of characters that you know are going to perish, you actually find yourself caring for them even more, as with Rachel Amber. So, there's going to be spoilers here. And I feel kind of bad about that because I know none of you guys have been playing it. I know, Joe, we kind of talked about it a little bit and you were talking that you would probably play it eventually. It's on the list. And part of the fun of these games certainly is in the discovery, but I'm not lying. I'm going to spoil shit. Not everything. I haven't finished all three episodes, but I did finish two. Before I even get into a lot of what occurs in the game, though, I'm just going to come right out and say... Life is strange for me, as I know it was for for you guys too. Well, well, Vince and Joe is one of those games that you you suggest everybody listen. This is one of those games you really should play for a lot of different reasons, but you really should play it. And before the storm for me, yeah, I'm just gonna say it. I think it's better. I point blank think it's better than the original. Because of how it handles the story, but also because 
In the same way that a really good second season of a show, let's take season two of Stranger Things, can really get you in on the action very quickly. You're hitting the ground running. You already are invested in the characters, and now it's just about seeing, okay, what fun, what what are you going to do that's different? How are you going to shake things up? And as we saw with season two of Stranger Things, they did, and it worked to great effect. So with here, it's a little different because, again, you're looking at characters that you already know where they're going to be in a couple of years, Um Although it wouldn't be quite that long. I don't know exactly when the third episode ends, but probably not a couple of years. Anyways, but what happens is that instead now you have you have this puzzle and you need to put the pieces where they belong, clearly. And as with making a puzzle, you spend a lot of time looking at the puzzle piece. And you try to look at the different ways that it could fit in and where it'll go and things like that. You already know what the picture is going to look like at the end. The fun is in putting it together. And because because it was so brilliantly created, this the sequel and the original, clearly, we understand that world. We understand that IP. And and we are and understand Arcadia Bay too, and so much as you can, because of the type of story it is. But we know the characters, we know that 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 place, and we have a familiarity. And as human beings, it just makes you feel good when you're playing something. And even if it's a subtle something like Frank's dog that is now a puppy, Pompadour is a puppy. You get that moment of oh, I know what you're doing there. Oh, I know that, and it that little bit of familiarity with the world makes you feel like you belong and and that's again can be used to great effect so here you have a story of chloe not too long after her father passed away now this is where it also is a little delicate um i don't know how (laughs) I want to be very delicate here, but I mean, a lot of what occurs here is soul wrenching, but in a cathartic way. It's not a, it's, you're not looking at certain aspects because again, her father passed away. We've all felt loss. Some of us have felt the loss of, of parents or people could very well have been parents or like in the case of myself an aunt who was very close grandparents extra joe you lost your old man not that long ago these are fresh wounds and so what happens in the story like there were many times joe i can't stress how often like i i barely scratch the surface of how often i wanted to ping you in g talk but again i understand that that wound is still fairly raw and it's it might not be the right time for you to play this, but very, very often I wanted to tell you, listen, you need to play this. I think it would actually be good. And it's because of how that death is handled. But actually, let me backtrack. Not so much because of how the death is handled, but because of how the healing is handled thereafter. There's a scene where Chloe is in the junkyard that we know from the original 
And and again, it's that moment of, ah, the junkyard. We know this place. Now we know how she got there, how she knows of this place, and why why a junkyard, of all things, is not a cool place to hang out, but a prominent part of, of Life is Strange, the original. And you get to see her go there with Rachel because there's a relationship there that is actually far more poignant than what we saw with Max. And and I don't use those words lightly because, again, we talked about it for, for fucking months. And then at the end of the year as well, like that relationship was beautifully handled. The relationship with Rachel is better. And not in a... Because, again, here we have a young romance. They're both... Well, I, they both they might be bi, but they're des- definitely lesbians. Uh, but it's not done in a way that's gratuitous or titillating or anything like that at all. And to their credit, because of how it's handled very early on, I actually never worried about that. Right to the point where there's an option in the second, yeah, second episode, I believe, um, where you can you can have a kiss. And I did it, and I wanted to know because it was right for the moment, and it wasn't any kind of sleazy guy wanting to see lesbians. It's a beautiful, touching story of teen love and all of the angst that goes with that because of everything that both of them have been through, all of the drama, to a certain degree, that goes with that from just being teenagers. But again... These teenagers, even the ones that are annoying, never annoy me like the stereotypical teenagers that you often see in TV and film. It's far more refreshing and real. And God, I love that. And so you have this really touching story between these two young girls. And like I said, both of them going through really horrific times, but also leaning on each other. And there's a little bit more there that I'll go into in a minute, but I want to jump back to that graveyard scene. And again, big ass spoilers here, people. If you're planning on playing this, feel free to mute me, skip forward several minutes, whatever. She finds the car that her father died in from the car crash. I'm choking up thinking about it. That's how powerful the scene was because you it's, it's, very a heightened sense of emotion prior to that scene. Very, very heightened sense. Like there was some stressful shit going on, not inconsequential stressful, real stressful situation beforehand. And then she feels again, you, you feel for Chloe like you never did in the, in the original. And that's again, saying a lot like this poor girl goes through hell and in the same way that we kind of like to tinfoil hat potential arcs of where the story was going in uh life is strange that's kind of like i was saying you're trying to fit puzzle pieces but with the foreknowledge of what happened in life is strange and there's a moment where i stopped And I even have it in my show notes. Like I wrote, oh my God, Chloe may be responsible for Rachel getting killed. 
And I won't say more than that because it'd be good if people find that out on their own or come to that conclusion. And I'd be maybe way off. But it's actually possible. And the same with Samantha, who is a girl who kills herself in the first one. Well, you see her in here. And there's a lot of social issues with her not being comfortable in social situations, but not that depression, that really, really heightened depression that led her to kill herself. But she has a crush on Nathan. And you can kind of figure what may come of that. So there's a lot that happens that you're like, oh, shit. Like, it's not just... Like when you see the puppy and it's like, oh, I get where this is going. It feels good to know that. No, there's a lot where you're you're cluing into things, even if they're not necessarily real, but you're like, oh, fuck. Is that what happened? And there's a lot of those, which is a nice nod again to that first one, a clever way of telling a story and also of creating moments that have so much more impact than what we saw in the original. Again, I can't stress enough when she sees that car and then the options that you have and what follows and everything and really taking the time to, without being, without being too graphic, the effects of the crash are still in the car. Okay, not to a disgusting point, but there's blood. You know whose blood that is. And it's not addressed. It's just there for you to see. And there's a lot of that in the game. Like one of the things that I was telling Joe, one of the cleverest ways that I've yet seen of uh, following your quest to know, okay, what's my objective? What am I supposed to do here? You just hold down the, the left, yeah, left mouse button and she puts her hand up and she's got a note on her palm. And that changes regardless of what cinematic you're in to reflect what is your actual objective at at that time. So the immersion is always there. And then to know what the story has been thus far, which for people with fucked up memories like mine is now is, is actually appreciated. There's the cell phone as well for all the text. Everything is presented in a way that is natural. Oh, like, I'm sorry, the looking back for quests, that's a, a journal entry. Uh, but there's all kinds of other things, too. And the, the, the way that the, the, the way that the story is progressing, there's just as much mystery going on as we saw in Life is Strange, uh, not quite as much of the supernatural as we saw in the first one, but there's still elements where you're like, okay, this is trippy as fuck. Like something's going on. Okay. Are you guys still there? Okay. Tell me you heard all of that. We Uh heard everything, but like the last Okay, good. Seconds. For whatever fucking reason, I got put into the AFK channel. I'm like, I'm not AFK. I've been talking, motherfucker. I gotta actually fix that before I keep going because I'm not even done yet. Hold on a second. I have not yet even begun to monologue. <laughs> Delightful. 
I can't even find the fucking option. Oh, I think I know where it is. Okay, no AFK channel. <laughs> I'll reinstate it later. Okay, so... I don't even remember where I was. I'm just going to go back to the notes quickly. Um, and I'm not going to drag on too much longer. It's just... Goddamn, Spoilers, there's, there's blood. Blood, yeah, blood in the car, yeah. Um, so what essentially happens is at one point... And just to give a little bit of the story and, and so that you know kind of what is happening. Again, you've got this story of teenagers in love. And um, basically, Rachel has decided that she wants out of Arcadia Bay. And it does not take much convincing for Chloe to to agree. And so then they have all of these moments of... Are we actually going to do this or not? Are we actually leaving or not? And if we are, okay, what are we doing? Without sharing too much of my history, I actually had something pretty much on the nose of that, except we weren't lesbians. (laughs) But it was very much like so many hits here from the, the different conversations where I'm like, holy shit, like that's not just accurate. That's like, fucking bang on accurate to what I experienced. So they did such a good job with that. And so you have Rachel who, who sees something that is fairly traumatic. This is during the story. And that kind of propels also that drive to we're getting the fuck out of here. But in typical life is strange fashion, it also opens up a whole bunch of, potential shit that you got to try to figure out introducing some new characters some possibilities of infidelities here this person is dealing drugs to the football team to try to make some extra money for his family like a lot of stuff and in between the craziness there's very slow storytelling for the mundane parts. And I use mundane between air quotes. Mundane is just our regular fucking lives. But the storytellers, the the deck nine takes their time with it. They don't rush through those parts. And what winds up happening is that if you're a patient gamer, if you're not just in it because you have to rush through it, but rather that you really want to know these stories and you want to immerse yourself in that world while you're in it, you'll actually take the time to, to, to experience it like the it's meant. And that is by not rushing through scenes and by watching everything like case in point. Oh, Joe, you would fucking love the way the soundtrack is presented. I mean, we talked about this before, and Vince, I know you loved it too for Life is Strange. Soundtrack was just amazing. Well, it's just as good in this, but it's presented a little bit differently, and you have the option to actually listen through the entirety of specific songs that are presented, and in very organic ways. You're hopping a train with Rachel, And you have the option of sharing earbuds and listening to a song. And you can listen to all of it if you want. And you can choose when you want to skip out to continue with the rest of the story. And in some cases, it feels, I can't say if it it is different because I haven't played it both ways, but it feels like you're almost rewarded for it. 
the um, the security guard on the grounds of Lockwell is a guy named Skip, and he's basically just you know stoner dude that actually is in a band. And at one point he asks you like, "Do you want to listen to one of our songs? I've got it on my phone." And she's, you have the option of saying no or yes. And I said, of course I do. So you have the option of listening to the entire song. Now I'm expecting, you know, crappy music and you're going to say, yeah, yeah, no, that's nice, but don't quit the security job. Fucking music was great. <laughs> the, the song was amazing. I listened to the entire thing. And then when it finishes, then he stops it, turns the, the cell phone off and says, okay, so what do you think? And then you proceed from there. So the music is often presented in such a way in a very organic way that allows you a minute to catch your breath, because some cases you do need it, and also provides a nice transition for the story, but also helps with integrating itself so entirely in the story that you never feel like you are, that you have a soundtrack choice uh, or song being forced on your throat. Again, beautifully, beautifully done. In the same way that the flashbacks for here are being presented in oftentimes a dream for her. So you're often seeing her father in the dreams. Sometimes it's pretty hard to see. Uh, Again, to anybody who's lost somebody, it could be tough. There's one scene where I kind of went, okay, that was for the sake of effect and not the cathartic approach that we have seen beforehand. But then when you think about where it is in the story, how it's being presented in not just a dream, but also somewhat of a nightmare as well, it kind of fits. Uh, Not kind of, it it does. It does fit. It's just hard to see. And there's different elements like that throughout where you're kind of like, but your curiosity gets the best of you as well. And you kind of role play this kick-ass young girl. And you wind up doing some things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily do. And you also sometimes have to bite your tongue or shit goes bad. And they introduced a new mechanic in much the same way that, um, well, not in the same way, but uh, Life is Strange had the backward, uh, backing up the time. Well, this one here gives you a different kind of little mini game that you can play within conversations. So in the same way that the other one was within conversations most of the time, and you can back up and choose different things, this one here, it's not allowing you to choose different things by backing up the time, but allows you to kind of power play a conversation choice, if you will. And so you have the option of if you if you can guess by the clues of their responses what might trigger them the best, and you trigger over and over and over again, like a teenager pushing buttons, you will get a different outcome at the end. And I really, really, really dig that. There's powerful scenes throughout, especially at the end of the episodes where you kind of get a glimpse of how the choices that you've made have affected different people. And again, because of where we know where the story ends, it makes it that much more powerful. So again, I I hope I didn't spoil too much, but I do again, feel that even more so than Life is Strange, I feel that this is one of those games that people shouldn't just, you should play it. It's like, no, you really need to play this game. Maybe not right now, but at some point you got to set the time. And for anybody who has not played Life is Strange, contrary to what I would have thought beforehand, play them as they were released. 
play Life is Strange first, then do Before the Storm. I firmly believe you will actually get more out of both of them doing it that way than if you play them in chronological order. I cannot wait to finish episode three. Like, the level of excitement I have for episode three, which is the last one in this one, is higher than I had for episode five of Life is Strange. And that's it. I I don't think I can say anything more to praise this game than that. Any of you got questions? Any of you motherfuckers there? You you answered the first question I had, which was like, do you recommend playing them like in the original order they were released or in the prequel than the, so you answered that question. Yeah. It's just because again, if the story had been told poorly for beyond or uh, before the storm, I actually would have said play them chronologically and because it would make more sense, but definitely not. Again, it's, if you're the type of player that's not going to rush through the scenes, but actually take the, the time, not just to watch, but to think about what it is you're playing and how it relates to the to the original, you'll get so, so much out of this story. I mean, all I'll really say about the game, and this is as somebody who adored the original, um, there's a reason I haven't played it. And a lot of that has to do with them uh, recasting roles. Yeah with uh, non-union actors due to the strike. So it has nothing to do with the quality of the game. I just personally have no interest in playing it for those reasons. And I can't hold that against you. That's no more needs to be said about that. So let's move on to some destiny because Sony fucked up. And we now know what's coming I, up I next. For the first expansion, it was Microsoft that fucked up. And this time Sony's like, we can do that too. Hold my fucking beer. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, you're on. So I have been reading into the, so there's been like what two or three different leaks about what this is supposed to be. Um, and my name is Bife cleared up a lot of what's going on. Uh, the gods of Mars is pretty much all that we have going. The entirety of the Anna Bray storyline that they were talking about. And for people been playing destiny too long you will know that Anna Bray is a hunter who is associated with the Future War Cult and is also part of the Bray family that helped create stuff like War Mines and uh, Siva. Basically uh, helping find her and dealing with the rogue AI Charlemagne who has now taken Rasputin hostage. None of that's true. Um, like the original post on the PSN seems to have been um fabricated uh but all we do know is that the name is the name is the gods of mars what have you guys also heard lately about all these things because i i just finished watching and reading like a bajillion and one different articles about it i mean i've heard numerous unfounded rumors like everything imaginable but i nothing that i could point to like a lot of the stuff that's that's why that uh playstation posting grew so much like attention was that a lot of it seemed fairly reasonable because it's based on clues that are already there. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Anna Bray was involved. And obviously this it's going to have something to do with Charlemagne and Rasputin and because that stuff's already in the base game building to that. So like, I don't think it's too far off from what we can expect, but again, it's not concrete either. Yeah. One of the things, and I totally agree. And like, it seems reasonable, but 
pointing out like when is destined when is Bungie ever not brought up the fact that they're adding a new raid or now raid layer to their content and the mm-hmm. posting didn't have that um that all being said yeah we're going to mars like that's pretty fucking clear we're going to mars and the cover of the picture for the dlc involves house bray um there's like a little symbol in the rightmost corner of the shoulder which i didn't pick up on but my name is bife did so that pretty worked out pretty well uh, the, the thing that interests me is, you know, again, the, the possibility of you know, playable faction or not playable, but enemy faction. And I'm sure we will see new enemies. I, I wouldn't know, say if I classify them as a faction, but clearly, you know, we're going to be fighting something. And <laughs> I, I would imagine it's going to be some new strain of SIVA. Uh, maybe we could see Siva infected Vex or Hive or something in addition to the Fallen that we got in House of Wolves. That would be pretty damn cool. I would love to see like Siva infected Hive is the scariest thing that has been said all day to me. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, it would even make so much sense today, so. for uh, for Cabal. You know, now that you know their power structure has fallen, you know they can, you know. Uh, uh, a legion or whatever they're called, I forget, I'm sorry, uh, you know, ends up on Mars and gets infected by SIVA. That could be cool as shit. I, I wholeheartedly agree. That would be super amazing. I did not get sick of SIVA, and there's a lot of lore that needs to be delved into and explained, but I approach the lore like a historian, not like an engineer, because perspectives change the basic nature of what we're talking about. Um, I do think we are totally going to see uh, warframes and constructs. And I, I agree with um, some of the other articles that have been written about it. Uh, this is all stemming from the Arecibo mission in Destiny 2 on IO, where you're looking around in the war in the warm mines vault. And if you do the, I don't know, I did it the first try, this the quote unquote special ending, where Ghost gets overwritten by some sort of signal um, that's carried over in the music, which is. Um, What's it called? Warmind music, basically. It's Tchaikovsky, mm. which is yeah. that it's Rasputin. Why Rasputin's talking like this to us is I don't understand. Um, well, but- if I'm remembering correctly, the air quotes secret ending, I, I thought that had to do with what race you chose, that Exos got the secret ending. My human hunter got the okay. secret ending. So, Well, yeah, but- you got the standard ending on a human. Oh, no, I got the, the special ending on a human. Oh, okay. Well, I... Then there, there goes that theory. They, I mean, I've only played through it on EXO, so I couldn't tell you. And I got the secret ending, so. At least I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, I'll have to double check. Maybe I, it's been a while since I've done that one. And I haven't done Arecibo on every character yet. But honestly, we're going to Mars. I still think we're going to the Deep Stone Crypt at some point, but I don't think it's going to be in this, um, in this one. Uh, so whatever the leak was, like, we know that they put the link out and then all of a sudden all of the news came back. The most believable thing of this entire debacle with PSN and um, months before the Xbox one, the most believable aspect of it is that we're going to Mars. We're dealing with a warm mind and something that a warm mind has created. I don't think we're going to, f- we might fight a new uh, re- a new skin type of enemy. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to like reskin Cabal. I don't think we're going to get a new alien race until um, 
you know, Destiny, Destiny 2 story. or Destiny 2's uh, sec, you know, first major expansion, not the DLC. I, I don't even think that. I don't think we'll see like a full like new. I, I can't even say new faction because obviously we'll see factions of, you know, the Fallen and stuff like that. But a, a full on new brand new enemy. I don't think we'll see that until Destiny 3. Oh, yeah. come on. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, oh, yeah. They've got to put some if, if you look at if you look at the roadmap, you know, here with uh, Ghosts of Mars, it's going to be, you know, SIVA and Mars stuff. And yeah, some new, new, but not brand new. And then it, what we're looking ahead is the first expansion is going to be focused on the reef with the Fallen. And then the second expansion is going to be focused on the Hive and the Taken. So, like, it's going to be stuff we've seen before. Now, new versions of stuff we've seen before, I'm sure, but nothing completely brand new. I would not be surprised if we didn't see that until Destiny 3. Yeah, we're going to see the Savathun taking control of the Hive and of the Taken. We're going to, um, you know, with more Vex. I'm surprised that with all the Vex stuff that we didn't do anything more with Exos since Exos were basically their, their creation started to deal with and explore the simulations of the Vex. Um, but yeah, we're not going to see anything new for a while. Uh, that's well, that's what I would be interested in with Ghosts of Mars if we can get... Uh some development out of Cade on that front, the same way we did with Ikora on uh, curse of Osiris. That would be cool. That would be, that would make a lot of, well, yeah, no, that would make a lot of sense because Cade's been everywhere in the system. Um, but, and, and, I, and if you've seen uh, from Cade's stashes, those little letters hint at a lot of stuff about that and him becoming an exo. Yes. I love those. Those are so heartbreaking. Oh God. Those are fantastic. Yeah. There's so much depth, like just hidden around the game world. So like, I'm just, my fear, and this is just recent, is that we're going to get all these little tidbits and just nothing. Like, I'm, I'm afraid that it's going to like, I don't want to say bottom out, but like hit a point where it's just like dropped almost. If that well, makes it's like, sense. I, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't really touched destiny. Like I played through the story of curse of Osiris I did the adventures. I was like, okay, I'm sick of the infinite forest at this point, And I haven't picked it up since like even the, the verses and crafting the weapons that I was like really interested in. As soon as I got the first one and saw how much of a grind it was, I was like, okay, I'm going to go play some RPGs now. Well, see, that's the problem though, is that like you would think Bungie was a brand new fucking studio that had never made multiplayer shooter games. And like, to me, that's, that's batshit crazy. They, they, they know what they're doing. And yet they keep making what I consider to be they made three years ago. rookie mistakes. And like, I'm, I'm still playing obviously, but not nearly as much as I was before. I'm, I'm still going in and I'm doing my milestones and Tristan and I are doing, um, the nightfalls and whatnot and some crucibles together. But like, if I miss a character, I don't care. And I'm not playing as much on the PS4, like really not as much on the PS4 right now. And part of that is because they keep fucking shit up when they say they're listening, but they keep fucking shit up. And so that is deteriorating my faith in where the the game is going, where the story is going, because we've seen them fuck up the story in one. It's not like we, we can look and say, oh, you did so great now that worry's gone. No, no, it's well, still there. And then with all the fuck ups, with oh man, that dawning event, let's not it start fuck ups. Well, they getting are getting caught. 
Oh, well, okay, yeah, you yeah, know, but I, I, I'm putting fuck ups in that. You can, you can fuck up on purpose. It's, it's not always a, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Like they keep saying, and that's the other thing too. Is it's, it's underhanded. Like I was talking to Tristan about this, and right now, like we're playing a few different games together, but that's our main one, and we enjoy playing it together. And you know, we're decent at it. We're having fun. And um, I was telling him that we're not for a the fact that I'm playing with him and B that I bought the season pass and I'm going to damn well use it. <laughs> I may have gotten ticked off enough, especially with dawning that I may have said, you know what? Fuck it. It's not worth it. There's tons of fucking games to play right now. I don't need to play this as much as I love different aspects of it. I don't like playing a game or supporting a developer that constantly shits on you. And that dawning event, holy fucking hell. Like, my initial thoughts, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. That eroded. Day one, I I was posting. I was like, I don't like this. And you're like, oh, no, it's got, you know, potential, this and that. I'm like, okay. And then a week later, you're like, this is awful. (laughs) It wasn't even a week, man. It was definitely not a fucking week because I was gone part of that time to the folks. And I felt that way before we left. Hell, I felt that way when I was... I participated in the dawning for... About 45 minutes, enough to get that first like daily package, realized that nothing from the daily was really all that interesting and went, okay, I'm done here. Let me, one example of a, are you fucking kidding me? I don't know if there was only a limited amount of the the schematics that you could get, or if it just happened that there was enough people bitching that they took them out partway through. Because about at the halfway mark, when you went to the the uh, the, the the bunch of, of gifts, you instead just immediately got something, either a ghost typically or a ship or no, really? the ghost was rare. Let me tell you, unless it was a legendary or a ship or a uh, a sparrow, and you didn't get the the schematics. I don't know if uh, Marty did they take it out. No, if you got this, if you completed that schematic it, that you were randomly selected for that day, you would just get the present that you would get if you made the schematic. Because it actually stopped partway through. I don't know if there was only so, if there were only so many schematics. Yeah, there was like 15 of them or so. No, not that much. Definitely not that much. Because again, I was doing it and I was pretty much every day checking, with the exception of the ones that I was out of town, I was checking the gifts as well. And there was a point where I had like four fucking schematics on one character. And here's what pissed me off. Because again, this was such a, we're just going to send you all over the fucking place. It's not going to make sense. And it's just going to be to waste your time is literally all it was. And they didn't, I mean, again, the entire point of the game development is to make you waste your time playing the game, but make it so that it's, there's a reason for it. And not just point blank. We're going to put a time sink here because you had to go to one planet for the kills and then another planet for the gathering. So you can't do them at the same time. But that's not enough. If you had multiple schematics in your bag and you were at the point where it was like the, the gathering for both and they were both the same elements, you had to finish one first, go cash it in. And then when you went back to start gathering again, then it would start gathering for the, the other schematic. That's like video game busy work. I don't Fuck really appreciate you. that. Well, Fuck it's, you, it's, Bungie. It's, it's not even, it's, here's the thing. And this is the part that really irritates me. It's not just busy work. Welcome to the new model, boys, because games are starting to do this across the board. EA starting to do this. Activision, any title that's under their umbrella is starting to do this. 
it's about max. How do I, how do I quote this? Maximizing engagement for monetization. Yeah. And you're not telling us something we don't know. I know. And that's what's frustrating about it. it, it, But I mean, this is, I hate the fact that this is the new norm, which is why I had that fear about like, we all these interesting lore tidbits. Who's to say they're going to follow up on it or they're not going to gate it, or they're not going to make you pay for it, or they're not going to, well, you're going to, you can get this exclusive, you know, schematic that unlocks this entire lore thing, but only if you spend money, like it's getting, it's getting to a point where like you guys are saying, I haven't touched the game in a while. Oh, you, and, I know you haven't been in for a long time. And, and part of that is because I'm starting to get sick of the cycle of behavior from them. I'm starting to get sick of the, we're going to do something underhanded. And then we get caught. We're listening to the community and we, you know, we're going to walk this back and we're, we're paying attention. Well, if you were paying attention, you would have done it in the first fucking place. Like I, you can only catch somebody's hand in the cookie jar so often before you just get rid of the fucking cookie jar. And that's the point where I'm feeling with this game. And I hate the fact that I feel like that because I love destiny. I love destiny lore. I love the aesthetic of it. Fuck. I'm having a hand cannon 3d printed for me because I love destiny that much. And I hate the fact that I feel like my joy in this game has been taken away from all this bullshit. I'm in the same boat. Like I play my situations a little bit different since I'm playing on the Xbox still. And there's one TV in our house and Shannon is using it 90% of the time these days. <laughs> Fine. I have so much other stuff that I need to be doing anyway, but I'm only playing when like when my friends from college get on and we're all super busy. And you know, the loot box stuff is just, it's a fucking shit burger. This whole thing, uh, the monetization of, the, the overt monetization of all of the of Bungie's work and of the fucking Battlefront 2 bullshit. All of this is just removing joy. But the benefit of this, I do think, is that smaller independent studios are going to make really good games and be like tired of fucking loot boxes. I mean, I think Bethesda was even like, which is not a tiny developer, but Bethesda is like, yeah, we're not doing loot boxes. That's not that's not our method. And that's stupid. So I think that there will be, in the grand scheme of things, some amazing pushback. Um, hopefully that uh, that pushback doesn't take down Destiny before they finish their story. Because um, I know one of the things that was complicating the development of Destiny 2 was like a rebuilding of their tools to create the world. However, I also am getting the feeling that like the the budget to to fix the game and to do things right has been impacted by uh, microtransactions and the want uh, to monetize every single thing, um, not just skins, but like almost a play to win feel. Like when Roger's talking about the 10% XP ghost as being kind of, impo- you know, kind of necessary, which it's a 10% XP boost to get more loot boxes. And you have to get that by spending money. The whole argument holds true to me. It's it's this is just rampant greed and trying to make as much squeeze as much money from the gamer um, at the expense now of gameplay and lore, which is things that I will not stand for. So what's funny and, and we'll end it on this and then move on. Um, they had said that they were going to be putting everything in the, and that you can buy it with, with the dust at different times during the event kind of thing. And of course you're waiting for that, 
exotic ghost that's going to give you more fucking loot. Because again, it's more fucking loot. Of course you want it. And so it came last week, obviously, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, fuck. Because I'm thinking, okay, do I actually want to give the money after all this? And I really, really don't. But I was saying, okay, well, how much would it be? Now, I'd never looked into this. So for those of you who went, fuck, this has been like this forever. Yes, but I never bought into it. And some other people might be in the same boat. You can't fucking buy bright dust. You cannot buy the silver that you convert to you that you use to buy, say, bright dust. No, you're using the silver to buy the engrams in the hopes that there'll be bright dust in there or by dismantling what you get in those those engrams that you'll get bright dust. A that's fucking skeevy as shit because then you're not you're not giving $10 to receive $10 worth of that bright dust. You're giving $10 and who the fuck knows how much you'll get. And then because going back to this fucking underhanded greed they did something there's no fucking way in hell this was a oops it was an error we didn't mean it but during the event if you tried to dismantle any of the legendary items that you got in those those bright engrams the dawning bright engrams you didn't get bright dust you got in Mm -hmm. some cases some glimmer maybe some legendary shards you did not get any bright dust and that's when I went, oh, because f- I try. I mean, I'm not giving you money. If, if it's gambling for that, fuck that. I'll disenchant or dismantle a few things because I was close. I only needed like 250 kind of thing, 300. So it wasn't a lot. And so I went, fine. So I tried to dismantle. You used to be able to dismantle shaders. Apparently you can't anymore or unless I was just during fucking dawning as well. Um, they're just deleted now and you get fuck all four of them. And then if you deleted the, or dismantled, sorry, I keep saying deleted. If you dismantle the, anything that wasn't dawning events, you got some, some bright dust. Well, some of the items, not all. Um, but yeah, and it was just like, you motherfuckers. Like, cause I was getting tons of, of various shit. And I know that's why they're like, well, we can't let you have too much of a good thing because it's the time of fucking giving. <laughs> so no. And that was to me the, the, it's not the last straw because, again, I'm going to keep playing it. But, like, I'm no longer at a point where I'm telling everybody, hey, you got to get this game. Come and join our clan. Play with it. Nah, it's more of a, I'll keep playing. But I'm. it's even more so now than ever. Like, I don't care if you guys change your fucking plans all around that are actually not shitting on your consumers or your customers, but trying to get them to help support you. Fuck you. Not after this. No more. No. Let's move on. Okay. Joe, how about Valiance Online now? So this started originally as just a Valiance Online thing, but it actually kind of got a little bit bigger, which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, So Valiance Online is one of the spiritual successors to City of Heroes, one of my all-time favorite games. If you don't like superheroes, fight me. Um, Valiance Online previewed one of its its main game map, essentially, like the main hub world type thing that they're doing. Um, And it's very rough. It's It's a very... Uh, top-down overview of what they have right now, but it already looks like it's sectioning off like a city. And the thing that impressed me about this and the reason that I put this in here, I went to college for architecture and planning. That that was my thing. And 
this reads very much like a real city block planning guide, which I thought was interesting. So whoever they have working on this knows their shit. Cool beans, guys. I, I'm excited about that. But then it, it, the story sort of evolved beyond that because they're, they're, you know, have their alpha investors sort of toying around with it. And they're starting to look for bugs and, and things like that with the map and, and some of their coding to sort of get it into a playable state for beyond alpha and beta and things like that. But there was this big exchange between all of the superhero MMOs that are sort of successors to City of Heroes, uh, which means Ship of Heroes, Valiance Online, City of Titans, and a fledgling wannabe Marvel MMO, which will not happen, I don't think, but that's a whole other story that we'll talk about later. Um, but this fledgling Marvel MMO account on Twitter started calling out this race between the th all these games to sort of be the first to take the mantle over and like talking about who was going to be the winner. And I thought this was really cool. So should be heroes, Valiance online and city of Titans. Every single one of them said, we're not competing with each other. We all have different directions. We're going, we all have a plan, but here's the deal. We're not trying to knock the other ones out. We're just trying to make sure that one of us is still standing at the end, because as long as one of us is here, nobody has failed. And that was a hell of a sentiment no for, for, for these companies to say, because to me, and, and this is going to sound so cheesy, that is the purest distillation of the community that was behind city of heroes that I have ever heard. And I talk a lot about like the communities and games we play and Roger and I've talked about this for fucking well we said 10 years at this point uh between wow dogs and now this and everything else like it's i have never had a community as open and inviting and welcoming and helpful as the city of heroes community and seeing that continue on through the developers that are taking up these these sort of mantles is great it fills me with an exceptional amount of hope um, it actually make, actually makes me super excited too, specifically for City of Titans because uh, there was this big—I don't want to say monologue, but Work Habit, uh, who some people may remember from way back in City of Heroes, um, he sort of gave his two cents on it, and this is where he said they're not battling each other; they're not battling even NCSoft, who still owns City of Heroes and is being a real right bastard about these games well, big surprise there yeah big surprise <laughs> but he says the biggest thing that they're fighting is apathy and they're they believe that they're building something that the community needs the community wants they're looking to inspire people to be the best they can and to sort of let that bleed under the community and city of heroes fucking did that man let me tell you um the fact that they're talking about this now, even before these games launch, even before these games are in beta, while they're still being developed and talked about and our assets are, are, are still being developed and systems are still being in place. That means that this is a core tenant for them from the ground up. That makes me fucking happy. And I cannot stress that enough. Well, so, they got to be smart. That's the thing, because you're looking at a time right now where they can look at the fact that those games while successful, did not continue to succeed, clearly. Mm -hmm. There's a changing of the times, went more to fantasy versus the superhero and stuff like that. But they can also look to now and, like, I mean, yeah, DC Universe is still on here, 
but I don't know that it's necessarily thriving. I don't know the numbers, so I, again, I'm saying I, that's a feel from the few times that I go in in the population. It's functioning. Yeah. And then the the Marvel, um, God damn it. What the hell were they calling it? Marvel Omega? Heroes. Yeah, but didn't they change it to Mega Heroes or some stupid thing? Who the fuck cares? Exactly. But that's gone now. So despite the fact that we're getting more superhero movies and TV shows than ever, the games don't appear to be doing quite as well. So well, I'm worried that that might have an impact on this. Maybe, but here's, here's a, a weird distinction, right? So when DC Universe launched, it wasn't that it was a bad game, but it was oh, before no. the superhero hype, right? It was before this sort of uh, this boom of superhero involvement. You could go to the store and you might be able to find a Batman shirt. You Maybe you could find a Captain America shirt. Not like now, though. So, like, the interesting thing is these games were all, I think, before their time. And I think now is the right time for these games to sort of hit the market. Because if you do it right and you do it in such a way that you let people create their heroes the way that they want to, which... I mean, looking at City of Titans, it's basically going to be the second coming of City of Heroes from everything that I'm reading, all the systems are putting in place, which, fuck yeah. Um, when you do all that stuff, even if you put a subscription model on it, even if you put uh, a free-to-play with, you know, microtrans for cosmetic bullshit, like, you know, different color or capes or whatever, or, or, you know, different particle effects, the communities can still get behind that. Be- and the interesting thing about it, too, is it'll draw new people in. It's something that could be easily marketed now that before it really couldn't. Before it was, you know, City of Heroes was a lot of hardcore comic nerds. Trust me, when, you know, Christopher Reeves died, we, we you know, sat in Freedom Park, in Atlas Park on, on the Freedom server and did our salute. We sat there for hours with our characters saluting the flag and, you know, doing all that stuff. We had community-driven events and stuff like that, but it was all hardcore comic nerds. And now you get something that may appeal to more people you have more people interested and more people that they don't know all this hardcore history for like marvel and dc and you give them something that's not marvel and not dc where it's something they can learn from the ground up i think now is the absolute right time for something like this to hit and and we'll see maybe maybe it'll hit and maybe they won't succeed maybe they won't thrive but god damn it i think this is the best chance they got i'm excited about it like i don't know shit about it um but one of the problems that I have with with fellow comic nerds is that we have a tendency to be gatekeepers instead of gate openers, and we don't we hold everything people. fucking precious. Oh God, yeah. Like we'll argue over who is the better run on Punisher, or you know how big of a tragedy is it for Bendis to go to DC for Marvel, or blah blah blah. Who gives a shit? Like this is the stories that I want people to share. I don't, you know, I want people to share and enjoy it. Like I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, too precious is the perfect way to describe it. And this would be the perfect way. And yeah, you know what? The best thing going for Marvel right now, outside of a couple books that they're fucking killing all of them, is the uh, Avengers 4 hype. And, uh, you know, Tom King's run on Batman, as great as it is, is going to be dwarfed by the garbage that the DC Extended Universe movies are. So... All I'm saying is this seems like it's your I totally agree with you, Joe. This is an, an amazing opportunity for them to come in and say, like, like comics here, go ahead, make your own well, with your friends. But even then you market it in a different way. You say, hey, you person that that you, you really like Spider-Man. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you were your superhero, what your power would be? 
Would you like to make your own hero, make your own stories, play in your own comic book? Like you start throwing that out there and you watch the people that start kind of getting hooked in. And and this is going to sound so cliche, but it reminds me of one of my really good friends uh, and his wife because she was never into comics. She thought they were this thing that only was there for dude bros and, and these super nerds and wasn't anything for her or, you know, her friends. And now she's the one dragging him to the comic store to find the next issues or dragging him to the theater to see the next movie. Because once that door was open for her, once that gate was removed and she could see what was there, she got hooked. And I feel like that's something that could happen with these games too, because one of the, it, it, it's sort of also like why wow is so successful on the fantasy scene. EverQuest was sort of this hard gateway. It was grindy. It was mathematical. It was, you know, really convoluted. You wanted to play a necromancer. God, you had to do so much bullshit that it was like, you might as well just not even try unless you were like a really hardcore person that was going to sit there for like 30 hours to grind shit out. And wow, even though at the beginning was grindy, lowered that barrier so far from what the other EverQuest and Ultima Online and all those other games that it allowed more people in. And then it allowed it to become more mainstream and allowed people to start creating their own characters and telling their own stories in, you know, a generic high fantasy world. And they struck gold that way. They have an opportunity to do the same thing with superheroes here with these games. And like, I know I've been babbling about this and I'm sorry, but it's, it's something that I feel really strongly about. The only thing that I would possibly be feel more strongly about would be a shadow run MMO because well, yeah, but (laughs) this opportunity is fantastic. And as long as these developers that are out there, keep their wits about them and do this the right way and don't be an EA and don't be an Activision and don't be a bungee and fuck this all up. This is something that I think people will gladly give you money for and give you money in reoccurring amounts to keep your doors open and development going well into the future just like they do for a while. You just have to do it right. The only thing that I would say, and, and part of this is to play devil's advocate just a little bit, um, because again, you, I actually played City of Heroes nowhere near as much as you, clearly, but I enjoyed it. But I got sued by Marvel. Yeah, well, I did not. Um, <laughs> but while I agree with you that the ability to make customize your own hero is important versus playing a Spider-Man or playing a whatever, it's a double-edged sword because some people want to play those iconic characters. And yes, they can somewhat recreate them uh, to varying degrees, certainly. But the other thing, too, is not just about the hero that you're getting, but the world that you're going to be inhabiting. And once again bringing it all the way back to my comments on, on life is strange, that familiarity is comfortable for us. And we like that. And it makes us feel like we're part of something greater. So that's kind of why I had felt initially that uh, DC universe online was so fantastic because you got to make your hero. You had your own personal story, but you were in that world, which was cool with having Batman in your ear and shit like that kind of thing. So with this though, you're not going to have, any of that, it's all going to be new. And while uh, people like us who are the gaming and comic book nerds together, so we really like that kind of idea, 
the average person that is really into the movies and TV shows and maybe a few of the comics might not be as much into it when it's a brand new world that they know nothing about. And yeah, they can see that uh, it'll have superheroes like this one. But part of what they like is that familiarity of knowing, like you got grandparents who know who Black Panther is now that never happened before. So there's that kind of thing works in their favor. And in saying that, once again, Omega fucking heroes, whatever the hell it is, is closing down. So it's kind of really hard to tell what the gaming population will be sinking their money into. And, and I think that's going to be the trick, though. But I think it's also because Omega Heroes is a different type of game. Like it's, it's there's that too. Yeah, yeah, right. That's like a big part of it too. Yeah, and so like, I, and it wasn't what we were promised to. We were we were promised an action RPG MMO type thing. We didn't quite get that. We got we got oh, I mean, it had an issues. approximation. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm not. I'm certainly not defending it. But but you 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 lay out some very good points, and these are all things that could possibly happen. But I think that. And I, I do feel very strongly about this. If you, it, as these games develop, if they keep their eye on the prize, they be smart about it, and they keep their mind on the community, even if only one of them survives, that community has the potential to thrive. And that's what I really want to see happen. Because, and I'm not saying that if any of the, the my, my WoW community listeners that listen to this podcast... I'm not saying I don't love you guys, I do. But we have to admit, there's a lot of shitlords in our fucking community. And there's a lot of people that want to, you know, mansplain their way through, you know, the the most minutia of thing, like, out of fucking transmog properly, and it's becoming something... There's this air of toxicity that, that, that creeps into that now that wasn't there years ago, and that's that's fair to, you know, maybe point out that that could be something that happens here, too but it never happened with city of heroes and maybe because the game wasn't around long enough. I don't know, but it did run concurrent with wow. And I never ran into anything like that. I ran into, and I think it was partially because they had systems set up to, to mentor people. Like that was, that's where the mentoring system came into place. That some other MMOs have tried to do. You run across a lobby, you can bring them along with you and, and teach them how to play the game and help them out and, or bump yourself down and do the content with them. And it, it, it was an interesting thing to see how frequently complete strangers would help each other out for no material gain to themselves. They didn't get XP for it. They didn't get items for it or, or enhancements. They just did it because that's what a superhero did. So the, the other thing too, is it actually, especially in this time now, it would actually work in their favor if they could budget properly. So they actually, they don't, try to become the next well don't try to become huge just like you're saying try to work on community and by having Mm -hmm. a much smaller game less people playing it in effect it's actually way easier to police that community as well not you know not in a harsh policing way but a gentle nudge here and there and by shutting down when you have the idiots who inevitably do appear. So even if it doesn't become absolutely massive, that's not the kiss of death. As long as they can maintain enough that they can keep going and keep putting in, in content, then a little bit smaller might be easier for them to manage too. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, you, you raise a very good point. That's something I've been saying for years. Stop looking for wow killers. Stop looking for X killers. You carve your own niche 
and you live there and you build up yourself from that niche to what you want to do. You march to your drum, you figure out what your path is and you go that way. You don't need to be the next act of Liz. You don't need to be the next whatever, as long as you're doing something that, you know, like they say in this, this statement, you know, it's about a positive community in an MMO about how, you know, the first MMO to encourage LGBT players, not ban them about being the first MMO to let you look how you wanted, play how you wanted and, and, and with who you wanted. Like, and these are things that city of heroes did back in the day. Like th- these are, these are pillars. These are, these are statements that you make that you build off of. And this is the foundation of something that could be good because it's part of it from the beginning. And you're right. They keep it small. They keep it focused and they keep it policed and you build that healthy community you have something that that's going to be lasting. That's going to be durable. That's going to be something that people flock to, you know, when they, they, that bully that, you know, decided to say a slur about, you know, this person got insta banned and has been told never to come back. You know, that stuff like new news like that travels quick and that builds confidence in players that are meek about joining MMOs or that have left MMOs because of, you know, abusive behavior or abusive players uh, this feeling of the game being too large that devs won't do anything or can't do anything because things are too big. You know, you you focus on that. You create this this welcoming, safe environment for players to unwind, for players to have fun, for players to, you know, shed the mantle of being a doctor, a teacher, a scientist, a businessman, an IT professional, and be a fucking superhero to save the world, to jump off of fucking tall buildings or fly through the air, harness electricity with their hands, Watch how much money that brings into your company. Watch how much that community thrives and grows. I, I, I'm. There's magic here if it's done right, and that's what I'm hoping for. Save the cheerleader. Okay, Marty, you have got two minutes on Solaris. Save the cheerleader. God damn it. Um, very quickly, Stellaris 2.0, the cherry update is coming quickly, and it is going to bring in new classes of ships, and uh, there will be new expansions to build upon. So your solar, your stellar empire made up of synthetics or plant people or teddy bears covered in some sort of sentient fungus, which is a thing. Um, it's coming. It'll probably be about nine, ten bucks. Uh, the game is still my number one time sink. Uh, I'm still playing it and I still have yet to win a fucking game because <laughs> fuck these people, fuck these aliens. I have decided that I will not let a filthy Zeno to live and I'm going to grind them under the foot of my space Marines. So you have still ours. 2.0 is coming yet. Nope. <laughs> I picked a fight with an alien race and then all of a sudden they had like three, 300k fleets just descend on earth i'm like well f- well fuck you too buddy um, <laughs> marty plays stellaris the way vince plays everything else <laughs> oh man it was great uh, yeah i actually started playing opus magnum it's a little puzzle game but it actually has a little bit of a story not much clearly but i was playing that i need to get into stellaris but then i started this little opus game it's fucking addicting as hell. I, I actually posted a gift today. It's just this, again, it's simple little things towards the start, but to, like against the game to say something negative about the game. Fuck, even the tutorial, not that clear. Once you're in the UI, it's not always clear 
what you're actually supposed to do or how everything works. So when you finally do figure it out, there's even more of that, ha ha, motherfucker, I got it. <laughs> and you kind of feel good about it. So I've been actually playing that. But I do have to get into Lars. So we are going to wrap it up at there. We've got a feature and we are continuing our Destiny history. Now we are at 201 and Marty has got some of those that are going to be coming for the next foreseeable future. And so make sure to check out the show notes at ForTheLore.com and you can check us out on Twitter at ForTheLore. Individually, I am Zen Buddhist, Joe is LoaderZJ, Vince is Simodian, and Marty is Officer Gleason. And you can also leave us your thoughts on iTunes and Stitcher. With that, we will talk to you guys next week. Okay, class, bonus lecture time. Any use of this material for any of your paperwork or any other work you need to do for whatever class you need, it's fine with me. I want to talk a little bit more about the Fallen, because they are our oldest enemy, our most sympathetic enemy. And I'm not trying to make us trust them or respect them, but we do need to understand them. Namely, what we need to understand is... After the whirlwind, their collapse, what changed in their society? Now, we have glimpses of the fallen with an incredible and impressive ability to modify tech of any kind. Cabal, Vex, ours, their own. Uh, hunters, in fact, uh, in the field use modified fallen technology to, to blink and to hide. What leads us to think is that they had and have cannibalized their own technology in order to let their race survive. Uh, we don't know how structured and unified their government was. What when we'll, They have these governmental clan bodies that are called houses. The House of Devils, the House of Kings, the House of Wolves, the feared and, you know, rightfully so, what poorly understood wolves. Uh, and the House of Judgment. Now, the House of Judgment has one fallen vandal, one fallen cow, really, Varix the Loyal, who is still working in the in with the the Awoken in the Reef. But we don't understand what Varix wants, what his motivations are. He is not prone to giving interviews or documenting fallen history for humans, uh, and. He is the one who has truly embraced the term fallen rather than the title they race that gave themselves as the Langsney. This is partly due to the fact that they have become barbarous and that they have fallen and torn apart old ways. Whereas House Judgment appears to be have been a relic of some sort of judicial slash legal system wherein fallen would address their grievances. We also need to understand that each of the houses uh, specialized in particular aspects of fallen culture, but we don't know. We know that it's a very general 10,000 foot view, but we don't actively know what was that the core of, and we can't really anthropomorphize that. I mean, they're not human. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. They don't look like us. They are alien. 
But what sort of purpose does the house of devils serve? Well, on earth, they serve to dig up Siva. Siva being a project of the golden age that Rasputin has taken control of or lost control of. It's unclear which happened. But it, they found Siva and started to use it. This was golden age technology that they very quickly adapted to their own. They're not stupid. They're just desperate. Uh, and House Devils had a group of uh, fallen, and allegedly all fallen, have a subset of splicers that learn how to, which are fallen that learn how to adapt their technology and biology. So they become cyborged, cyborgs. Very weird, but, you know, it's their thing. This was House of Devils' purpose. House of Wolves raided the spaceways. They were everywhere in our system, and it was only a surprise attack by the Awoken that stopped them from basically raining rocks into the gravity well just to destroy what was left of the city. Well, the city that was just founded, really, at the Battle of Six Fronts. Now, the House of Winter and the House of Exile. These are two other fallen houses. The House of Winter was on Venus, and they have joined up with the House of Wolves, uh, to almost to a person. Um, and the House of Exile was not at, some were allowed to petition into the House of Wolves. But these are two houses that, the House of Winter, they were scavenging Venus for lore and for information and for weapons. Well, House Exile was made up of those fallen that were no longer part of any house structure. And it appears that they had no Cal. They had no leader. Um, this is what happens at the, the onset of a collapse. Who leads? In the case of the Fallen, they fractured along some sort of family, clan, or political line. In human terms, who did we follow? Where did we go? We didn't stick to... Uh, family or clan lines. We stuck along species lines, which, yay, people. But uh, in the Dark Ages, following the collapse, that was not necessarily the best way forward. But that's a lecture for a different time. The picture that we want, need to understand at the, at the end of time uh, is that the Fallen themselves fell from grace, fell from the Traveler, and we don't know exactly why. Uh, there's not even a mention of them, really, that we could tell in the Book of Sorrow. However, it could just be we haven't found those pieces yet or translated them yet. But that their political structure was built to accommodate uh, whatever they needed to survive. And that is what makes them dangerous, if not sympathetic. There's one last thing though, that we should bring up. Just as humans have the legends of King Arthur or of the mythical savior creature who will save, uh, who will come at the end of days and lead them into a new golden age, so too do the fallen have the Kell of Kells, an individual who will come and unite all the houses again like they were before the whirlwind. Skolas, the Kell of Wolves, believed himself to be the Kell of Kells. You know, the king of kings, almost, uh, which is a definite religious reference to an ancient religion, but you're not here for that. The Kell of Kells might be on Earth, 
and it might not even be the Fallen. Because rumor has it that Prince Aldrin is starting to co-opt the Fallen into his own ranks. But there also appears to be a new house led by a new Kel that is also in competition for the Kel of Kells. And by the way, Prince Aldrin, he's awoken, sister of the Queen. Where he is, I have no idea. But if you find him, let him know I'd like to talk to him. I've got some uh, theory I'd like to bang out and just uh, punch him in the face for uh, being such a dick last time I met him. All right, the Fallen. They're very sad. They have house structure. They're a lot of like us, but at the end of the day, their bad choices doesn't mean we have to spare them. If you like what you've heard, please let the principal know and uh, tell me what more I should learn for you guys. This has been Pogue 3, filling in for Unit ZJ, the lover of Vex, and uh, I'll see you guys next year. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.